0: For all those who are traveling, we look forward to seeing you back soon. Maybe some of you are watching from wherever you are this morning. I know that that's the case for a number of families who are sick. Um, There's been kind of like the flu variant A going around. Um, So, yes, we're praying for you all at home this morning as well. Well, this morning we are beginning our Advent study in the Book of Ruth. You may have noticed the sermon series art that was above there just for a couple of minutes. That was actually, that was actually painted by our own Zoe Tenenbaum. So, ah, shucks. Thank you, Zoe, for putting the time and effort into that. It is very, very nice. Well, have you turned to Ruth yet? It's on page 222 in your Bible. You'll want to turn there this morning. Maybe not in all of your Bibles, but it is in the Pew Bible in front of you, page 222. Ruth is an elegant, short bridge, an elegant, short bridge that spans the book of Judges and the book of 1 Samuel. And if you know some of your Old Testament history of Israel, that means that it also spans the period of the Judges to the period of the Kings. Though, as you'll see in a minute, Ruth happens during the period of the Judges. And Ruth is a short story masterpiece. It encompasses about a year of time in a small town, kind of like an idyllic rural setting with some idyllic characters. And it brilliantly evokes the emotional extremes, deep valleys of grief, and also jubilant peaks of joy. As in every good short story, not a word is wasted. And there is more to explore in this short book than we'll be able to over Advent. I'd encourage you to read it on your own if you have a chance. Kindergarten through fourth graders, you could definitely make it through Ruth this Advent. As with any wonderful story, the story needs to speak for itself before being analyzed. And as a story with God as the author, this story is true. It's not a short story work of fiction. And God needs to speak for himself through this story. So, I aim to allow for that today, and then we'll get a bit more into analyzing the story in the coming weeks, though there will be a little bit of analysis and preaching this morning as well. Please pray with me. Father, thank you that through the Holy Spirit, you wrote this story, and it is a story that you wrote in real lives. There really was a Ruth, a Naomi, a Boaz. So thank you, Lord, that you wrote that story in their lives and then preserved it for us. We pray that as we study it over these coming weeks, your spirit would speak to our hearts, though we're thousands of years removed, speak to our hearts in a way that influences, impacts us, gives us a greater love for Christ these weeks. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier... Let me give you some ABCs to understand the book of Ruth a little bit. Okay? Here's A. Awaiting the king. Awaiting the king. You may have heard of the Septuagint before. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Old Testament. Okay? So when Jesus was alive he could read the Old Testament in Greek. When Paul was alive, he could also read the Old Testament in Greek. They didn't have to read it in Hebrew. Well, in the Septuagint arranging of the Old Testament, Ruth directly follows Judges, like it does in our Bibles. So we need to know a little bit about Judges, to be able to know about Ruth. In Judges there is a seven fold cycle. Of apostasy by the people of Israel. That is declining as it goes through the seven cycles. It's almost like Israel is sliding down a mountain. Can that slide be arrested? Yes it is seven times. As Israel rejects God's rule and protection they come under the influence the, the, a foreign army comes in and harasses them, either the entire people of Israel or a part of Israel they reject God's rule they no longer have his protection they come to repentance God rescues them through a judge, think someone like Samson or Deborah. And then they reject God again. And the cycle happens once again. Judges is kind of a depressing book. And it ends with this verse. Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So if you are Jesus or Paul reading the Septuagint, you would finish the book of Judges and read, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And then if you continue to read into Ruth, you would go directly into chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, There was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. Who do we meet right at the beginning of Ruth? A married couple, living in the times of the judges. What What does Elimelech mean? My God is king. So you have the end of Judges saying there is no king in Israel and the first person you meet just a couple verses later is my God is king. His wife's name is Naomi. So you have this narrative tension here in these two books. When would there be a king in Israel who would rule with justice and with righteousness rather than the chaotic cycle of sin that Israel was constantly re-sliding down in. Would there be this king? Imagine life in a land of anarchy and utter insecurity, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone from... Everyone from the leaders of your clan to your closest neighbor? Who could you trust if everyone did what was right in their own eyes? Could you even trust your own family? Could you even trust yourself? Imagine living life in a land of anarchy and utter insecurity. So A is for awaiting a king. And this is part of the reason why we're in Ruth For our Advent season. Because Advent means arrival. Or appearing. We are awaiting a king's arrival as well. A. Awaiting a king. B. Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It's where Limelech and Naomi are from. What does Bethlehem mean? It literally means the house of bread. However... As we just read, there is famine in the land. Israel has no bread and the famine has even left the cupboards bare in the house of bread, Bethlehem. Why is there famine going on in Israel? Well, it's very possible that it is God's judgment on the land. Listen to what God said to Israel in Leviticus 26. Through Moses, he says, But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow seed in vain for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if, in spite of this, you will still not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins, and I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze, And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its increase, and the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. God included famine in the possible judgments that he would visit Israel with if they forsook his covenant, if they walked away and continued to reject him. So here at the beginning of Ruth, even the house of bread was empty. The cupboards were bare. And you have this sojourning family, Elimelech and Naomi and their two sons, migrating for over a hundred miles to get to the land of Moab, an often hostile nation. So don't only imagine living in a place where everyone Did whatever they saw as fit and saw as right in their own eyes. Imagine food insecurity. Imagine if you were going to prepare Thanksgiving dinner this last week and there was no food in the house, and there was no food at the store, and there was no rain on the horizon. Imagine that desperation. And then imagine that you leave to go to try to find food. And where might you find it? In an unwelcoming land. People that don't really want you there because you and your large family are eating their food. that could go to their families. Bethlehem is an important setting in the book of Ruth. So we have awaiting a king. Bethlehem, And C is covenant kindness. Covenant kindness. In Hebrew, it's the word chesed. What does chesed mean? It means steadfast, loving kindness. It's not the simple kindness that a stranger might show another stranger. But it is radical, committed, relational, generous kindness of God towards his people. He's made a covenant with them and he treats them with steadfast loving kindness. It occurs three specific places in the book of Ruth. You might remember it as this. It's loyal love. It's loyal love. And it's, you'll see in the book of Ruth, God's kindness often visited through his people. He uses people as a means to show his kindness to others. It's important to get this C as you look at the book of Ruth because the depth of grief and hopelessness, especially in chapter 1, is so dark, so severe, that if we don't remember the covenant kindness of God, it could seem as hopeless as Naomi understood it to be. So let's go to Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malin and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, The husband of Naomi died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malin and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her. She returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley feast. So here we have Naomi losing her husband, losing her two sons, and she tells the women of Bethlehem, Don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara, for I'm bitter. Who could blame Naomi for the loss that she's experienced? Interestingly, the author of Ruth doesn't. He does not chide her for her bitterness, he does not offer some sort of opinion. Her grief is acknowledged. Her loss is real. She left Bethlehem hungry, with a husband and two sons, was far from home for ten years, and now is a widow, childless. All her dreams dashed, and her future precarious. Did not have the wherewithal in a male-dominated society to be able to make ends meet by herself. Now she returns to her hometown and her old friends are shocked. After 10 years, is this Naomi? We should feel the ache We should listen to the reality of loss. The need to lament. When what we think should be our future is dashed against the rocks by providence. When all of our best plans turn to dust, and worse, we wonder if we have any plans ever at all again. And this is Naomi's life. Husbandless, childless, and with a Moabite daughter-in-law. Did the other women whisper, why did she bring her back? What was Naomi's interpretation of what has happened to her? Well, she says, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Even further in chapter one, she'd said to to Ruth and to Orpah, It is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me indeed in God's providence these things have happened to her this is the reality of Naomi's life however Naomi goes one step further she interprets her calamity as punishment the hand of the Lord has gone out Against me, the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Author Sally Lloyd-Jones writes this. When I go to churches and speak to children, I ask them two questions. First, how many people here sometimes think you have to be good for God to love you? The kids tentatively raise their hands, and truthfully, I raise my hand along with them. How many people here sometimes think you have to be good for God to love you? Second, she writes, I ask this How many people here sometimes think that if you aren't good, God will stop loving you? The kids look around again, and they again, they raise their hand. If Naomi was asked these questions, she would raise her hand as well. Bad things have happened to me, which means God has stopped loving me. Why would God stop loving me? Because I have somehow not been faithful. I have somehow not been good. let me ask us this question. Is this how you or I interpret the calamities in your life? That God is punishing you? That somehow you have to be good in order for God to love you and if bad things happen to you, it means that God has stopped loving you because you have not been good enough. Do you interpret the calamities in your life as God punishing you? If so, let me just ask, is that actually the God of the Bible? Is that actually the God that you believe in? Because the God of the Bible who says believe on me is a God of chesed, loving kindness. He is a God of loyal love who loved his people enough to put his punishment on his son so that we could live. Not saying, be good enough so that I love you, but saying, I love you so much that I will transform your life into goodness by my loyal love. I wonder... Did God kindly empty Naomi so that she could know his love as she had never known before when she was full? God, yes, took it all, but he filled her, as we will see, with himself. Let's continue on with chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So Ruth set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to a man named Boaz, who was out of the clan of Elimelech, Naomi's husband. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then Ruth fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord. For you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. Do not reproach her. And also, pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw that she, what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she took her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter... "'Should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? "'Is not Boaz our relative with, whom, with whose young women you were? "'See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. "'Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, "'and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. "'But do not make yourself known to the man "'until he is finished eating and drinking. "'But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. "'Then go and uncover his feet,' He said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And the Redeemer turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Also, Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malin, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel Rachel and Leah who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem, and may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went in to her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter in law, who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David." Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. And to the ABC, let's add a D for David. To those awaiting a king in Bethlehem who would show them covenant kindness, David, their king, was coming. His grandfather was born here. Everything seems to turn out so well for Naomi. It seems that all of her emptiness has now been made full, that all of her bitterness has now been turned to joy. In our calamities, is that what we should expect? That everything will be made well in this life? Mary Wilson Hanna writes in her commentary on Ruth. Hear this. The relevant point is not What God does for Naomi, he will do for you in the here and now. But rather, who God is for Naomi, he will be for you. He is a Hesed, covenant-keeping, loyal, loving, and kind God. You and I are part of his story, but we are not all of his story. The angel came to Mary in Luke 1 and said, You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In our our emptiness, we find the fullness of God's loyal, chesed, loving kindness in our forever Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you for sending Christ. We look forward to his return. Lord, in our suffering, in our grief, Thank you that you are the comforting God who yourself bore our sorrows and our griefs at the cross. Oh God, I do pray for brothers and sisters who are in the thick of grief right now that in your mercy and grace you administer to them through the work of the Holy Spirit as they lift their eyes to Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are near. You are never far. You are always loyal and full of love and always kind. In your name, Jesus. Amen.